Yeah, this, this big blue wobbly thing, as uh, Baldwick was fond of saying in Blackadder, um, it's not a backyard swimming pool. Yeah. This is a dangerous, wild place and we shouldn't expect it to be safe. And every time you enter it, you are signing that waiver. Everybody, welcome to uh, returning to this week's uh, show episode of the Sea Has Many Voices with Paul De Gelder, and uh, just heard a very uh, moving description of uh, sounds like a, a true pivotal moment in your life where where things changed. Yeah, things went from one state to another, almost like a quantum quantum change, and you. Uh, uh, I feel like I was in the presence of a very very important moment hearing that. Uh, when you knew you were going to die, you thought you were going to die, and then you didn't. And, and the lesson that it that it taught you, you know, and it made me funny. It made me think of um, a line out of a movie that I saw many years ago. You ever seen the movie the, the Years of Living Dangerously? Oh, a long time ago. A long time ago, and I don't remember much about the movie, but I do remember a scene at the back end of it where you know, Mel Gibson was talking to that other. That lady, she was, she was the lady who played a man. It was a weird casting, but <laughs> they were talking about life and yeah. the meaning of life and what do you do in life. And, I, and it always stuck with me. But she said, "It's life is really all you can do is sort of uh, encounter the people in your life and love them and, and keep moving forward." Through mm -hmm. that. And um, it, for some reason, your story made me think of that moment where it's like it kind of sobered you up to what's important and helped you and now you're passing that on to, to, to the rest of us. And I think and I and I think that is part of why we're here is to uh, discover why we're alive and, and, and share, you know, those clues. I think the clues are all around us. Absolutely. In terms of, you know, what what, what why are we here and, and how do we share it? And you you really you you you're a giving person, and you're you're, uh, you're almost like a you're like a priest or a, mission, a missionary or something. You're you've got the word. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I love traveling and speaking so much. Uh, I did a lot of it back home, and I'm doing it about bit out here now as well. Um, and I take a lot of pleasure in in taking people on this emotional roller coaster. I don't feel like. As humans these days, we experience as much emotion as perhaps we used to. We're, we're a little numb to it because we've been over, um, uh, over what's the word for it? Uh, overstimulated. Yeah, we're, we're, just, we're, not, we're not surprised by anything anymore. The world is like we've just exposed, we've got access to every single thing happening around the globe and the world is such a crazy place, nothing surprises us anymore so we don't feel as much. So one of the things I really love doing is taking people on this crazy journey and I've learned to tell it in a way that um, I can take people on this roller coaster of emotion and, and surprise them and shock them and take them deep, deep, deep down and to the depths of me dying and wanting to die and wishing that the shark had killed me to the next ending it with a, a, a joke they're not expecting and all of a sudden the women have have burst into tears but they're laughing their asses off at the same time and they don't know how to feel and it it's it's such a an enjoyable thing to be able to um, take people and expose them to a, a story and a journey that they might not ever have had the opportunity to have in their own life but in saying that my story is no bigger or better than yours or theirs. It's just a different sort of journey. Well, it, it, it's yeah. I think you're right. Everybody's got their own journey. Everybody's got their own moments of epiphany and, and awareness. But uh, not a lot of people 
get that close to death and then then don't go all the way. And that mm. that gives you a, 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 a it sets you free. Sets you what? Sets you sets free. You, it sets you free. What do you mean by that? You think about fear. Yeah. What are we afraid of? We're at the core root of it. Mostly, we're afraid of death. Why are we afraid of spiders? Uh, people say because they're creepy, corally. But if they were, if they weren't poisonous, if they weren't going to bite us, if they weren't aggressive, would we really care that much? We just flick them away. We're fr we're afraid of death. Everything comes from this fear of death and getting hurt. And once you realize that that's not scary and that's not something to be afraid of then it sets you free of having to cling to that mortal coil and be afraid of anything which allows you to be the person and do the things that you're meant to do or that you want to do. So that's why now I live in America, I travel the world diving with sharks, working on Shark Week for Discovery Channel, I can get on stage and speak. The only thing I was more afraid of than sharks was public speaking. Now I'm a public speaking shark diver and my life is, I, I wouldn't even change it. I wouldn't go back and, and have my, my limbs back if I had to sacrifice this life I have now because it's that good. What do, you, what do you think happens after we die? I have no idea. You don't have any? It's the next great adventure. Next great adventure. Yeah. What, do you know what's going to happen every time when you jump in the water with sharks? <laughs> you just don't. Like, that's why we do it. We love it. We love the adventure. We love the animals. It's, it's an experience outside of our own comfort realm. I, I feel death is going to be the exact same thing. What, that's a good question. What are people, what are we afraid of? People are afraid of death. People are afraid of being alone. Yeah. Um, if you become comfortable in yourself and your own company, then there's, there's, that's not something to be afraid of. Like, it's just, there, there is, like you just said, there is uh, tools all around us. And those tools can be utilized if we're willing to use them. And sometimes that tool is just the right mindset. Yeah, you know, it's something I think about a lot. Um, I I'm, I'm kind of believe in, uh, I kind of, I'm one of those people that believes in all religions. You know, I think they all have something. Yeah. They're all kind of like different pathways up a mountain to the mm -hmm. same peak, you might say. And uh, one of, the, I, I was really into the transcendentalists for a while. That they were a group of thinkers and writers in the United States in the late 19th century. Uh, Thoreau, Emerson uh, were, were among them. And one of their beliefs was that the, there were clues. I, I use the word clues. That there were clues around us all the time. Like, why are we here? What's going on? And they believed that, the, that it was in nature, that you could figure it out in nature from nature somehow. Um, for example, uh, they looked at you know, trees would grow and die, and the leaves would fall to the ground and decompose, and then they would get brought back up into a new tree. And, you know, they felt there was some universal truth in that, and that <clears throat> maybe our consciousness, maybe we, you know, go through some sort of a, a pattern like that. The death well. and renewal. Death and renewal, uh, and, and you find that in different religions in different ways. Um, and just the whole, you know, Paul, when I... For me, my church is almost like the, well, it's the ocean for one thing. I mean, I'm, I'm an ocean person, so are you. I've got to admit, you're the most unique guest I've had. I've never had all the guesses about the ocean, but usually it's a much more practical discussion about uh, a seaweed or a coral and how they work and stuff. You know, we've, we've got- well, we can get into that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of enjoying where we're going and where we've gotten to here. Um, for me, you know, I look up at the night sky and I love thinking about astrophysics. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think if I just think long enough and think hard enough about what's infinity mean and how can it go on forever all around us, 
it's like there's this there's this raging question mark contradiction around us all the time in the universe and we get so caught up in our in our material world worrying about the our coffee or yeah. the, the <laughs> yeah. with our girlfriend or our wife and, yeah and the thing that there's this like miraculous place that the existence that we're, we're part of here and um and you know I, I love thinking about that stuff and i never never dreamed that i'd go here go on this direction with you here what, what are some of the can you it, it helps illustrate for our listeners and for me too uh, reactions you've had. I'm sure there's some people you've talked to, either audience members or maybe, I don't know, do you work one-on-one -on -one with people? Helping? Occasionally, um, with a, a lot of times, I'll encounter parents where their children uh, have lost limbs, uh, specifically, or they're just going through a, a tough time as well. And if they're friends or friends of friends, then I, I usually do. Um, I read, there was a recently um, a girl, Paige Winters, who had her leg yeah. and her fingers taken off by a shark. So I reached out to her dad, um, and now we're, we're kind of chat briefly on Instagram. So I just wanted to let her know that when she's ready, um, I, I'll be here for her to talk to. Um, because I, I had a lot of people f try and force themselves on me when I was trying to recover, and I didn't appreciate it. People that had been bitten by sharks. Uh, just a guy, a guy specifically, a doctor that had lost a leg, and he kind of just invited himself in. Everyone thought it'd be good for me, and he came in and ripped his leg off in front of me, and I was it was horrifying. I was still emotionally unprepared for that, and I, I did it didn't do me any favors. So I never try and force myself on anyone I just reach out to them or their family members or their friends and just let them know that if and when they're ready they want to chat and learn some of the the tips and tricks that I've learned over the years I'll always be here for a chat is there a, is there any kind of a, a organization or like I, I, I met a guy recently uh, from The Economist who did a documentary on a project that was I was in who had one eye and uh, he told me there was a club that he belonged to the one-eyed club okay everybody that had one eye and I was really encouraged to hear that because mm -hmm. I knew somebody else that, that had the same same issue and I knew that it was could be an issue for people and he said, yeah there's a club support group you know we're, we're global and we all talk and we is there anything like that for uh, loss of limbs or shark oh I'm sure there is yeah, yeah I bet there is yeah. um, honestly my, my time is spread so thin amongst so many projects I like I, I can't be there for yeah, yeah. all of that, but if people reach out to me, I always make as much effort as I can to help them out because I know the value in it. Yeah. Sometimes just one simple sentence can change your whole perspective on a situation. Yeah, what I, what I was, where I was going a minute ago, though, was is there any one interaction you had with somebody in the audience or someone that you could share with us that sort of uh, illustrates the... Uh, the, the connectivity, the changes that you make with people? Or, or I get, I, one of the amazing things about um, social media is the ability for, I do Q&A a lot at the end, but oftentimes, you know what people like, they don't want to draw attention to themselves, um, they don't want to give in front of everyone, so I get a lot of messages on social media about the impact that the presentation or you know, just that one simple sentence might have had on them for a multitude of reasons. It might not have anything to do with limb loss, it might not have anything to do with um, sharks or shark attacks or fear or death. It might be the simple fact that they were a self. I had a guy pull me up on a street in Sydney in Bondi Beach and had no idea. He looked like he was almost homeless and he came over to me and he stopped me and said, Paul, I just wanted to thank you um, for what you wrote about in your book about being a self-harmer. 
because I, I am a self-harmer and reading what you went through and feeling like I wasn't alone for a little while really helped me a lot. And it was funny because those were the parts of the story that I was very nervous Can about putting in. A little bit more the self-harming part because I don't really understand that. I mean, I, I know I'm aware of it, but I've never really understood it. I, why, why do people do that? What? I don't know why people do it. I only know why okay. I did it, yeah. uh, and it was because I felt smothered in being controlled from every aspect of my life. So the only control I had was to inflict pain on myself. And that pain was a release. The pain felt good? The pain, the pain hurt, <laughs> but the pain did not feel good. It was, it was the, the, the end game, the end result of me slashing that arm up and seeing the blood running down my arm. And it felt like that was something I could control. I could do that to myself. It was an outlet. I felt the pain. I uh, embraced the pain and I could do it again. And that, that made me feel strong. Okay. Um, fortunately, I, I met, people go through it for a whole lifetime sometimes. Fortunately for me, um, it was only about six months and I, then I found another outlet for that pain um, through martial arts that was much more productive. But it's, you know, it was, when you're going through a very emotional, tough time like I was, um, absolutely depressed. Uh, as a teenager, um, undiagnosed, um, because I hid it from everyone. Um, you can't always expect a, a reasonable thought because we are unreasonable creatures and we thrive off of emotion sometimes. And I don't think we can quantify understanding every aspect of emotion. Sometimes we just do weird shit. Yeah, yeah. That's what makes us unique. You know, I saw um, you're, you're generating a lot of memories for me now. I, I was uh, witness to a guy that killed himself once. He uh, he poured gasoline all over himself, lit himself on fire. Oh Lord! And uh, I was up in a so I was in college. And I was up in a building. And I saw it happen out on a green, uh, grassy area. No one saw it. It was weird. It was a college, but it happened in this funny corner where. I saw it, somebody else saw it, we ran down the building and out to the guy and tried to put him out and he died about a week later, but uh, you know, the uh, college had these sessions where people would come and talk about it because it hit the community pretty hard and I remember this one guy said, uh, he said, it makes you realize how close many of us are to that or how, you know, it's okay to share that you're feeling that way because, yeah. you know, he did it and he was successful and if you all acknowledge that maybe you've thought of it or you're thinking about it, you won't have to do it. You know, it was just a way to, and that, that was a real kind of grounding moment when the guy said that for mm. the community. And I think he probably saved some lives there long term when uh, that acknowledgement of, uh, of struggle and all that. Um, well, uh, Back to the ocean for a second here. Um, you said earlier about the sharks. Uh, that, you know, Peter Benchley, the guy who wrote Jaws, was my best yeah. friend. Right? You know, I kind of want to make up, bring our listeners to ground on this fact because it's really important. That is that uh, Peter's Peter's favorite statistic was more people died slipping off of toilet seats every year than <laughs> yeah. got killed by sharks. Yeah, and he, he added a couple of other ones like electric toasters. And more people now are dying from selfies. 
Oh, is that right? Yeah, taking from taking phone selfies. So sharks, sharks are not uh, are not as dangerous as people think. However, they are dangerous, and you they're a wild animal. You're, you're a living example of that. That they are wild animals. When you go into their environment, you have to be aware that you're in there. Yeah, yeah. This this big blue wobbly thing, as uh, Baldwick was fond of saying in Blackadder, um, it's not a backyard swimming pool. Yeah. This is a dangerous, wild place, and we shouldn't expect it to be safe. And every time you enter it, you are signing that waiver. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, uh, you know, for example, we're we're sitting here looking out of Santa Monica, and I always point out to people that, uh, you know, I, I've done over you know twelve thousand dives, and I've dived with sharks night or the day, feeding them, not feeding them, open ocean, deep, you know, you name it, I've done it, and I'm very, very respectful. And I know that it's not actually safe to swim. I don't. I wouldn't swim two or three hundred meters out there. No, people do it though. Around sunset. And this is where the white sharks come down. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it is. It is not safe to go swimming out there. I see a lot of people uh, get all enthusiastic about being Mr. Athlete or Miss Athlete, and they go swimming around, and and that's uh, that's where you, you are going to run into some risk. Um, Yet, it doesn't happen. Uh, it happens more than you think. Like really, I, I you lived, never hear about I lived it. In Hawaii, so. here. Uh, I don't know about right here. That's what I'm talking about. And oh. yet, people go out here, and there's there's barely any shark interactions. Yeah, but the potential's there. The potential is always there. Yeah, yeah. and in Hawaii, where I lived, every year somebody got bitten, but they, the press the press does suppress that stuff. You know, yeah, well, they can't as much anymore. Yeah, yeah. It comes out pretty thick and fast. It's harder now. Um, and the other, the other thing that's been happening recently is um, I'm from Boston, and one of the reasons I, I'm an oceanographer is because of Matt Hooper, you know, for Jaws. I wanted to be Matt Hooper. Hooper. So I, I saw him on TV, and, and by the way, you and I share, for our listeners, uh, we both hosted programs for Discovery Channel. Mm -hmm. That's kind of cool. I, I don't Absolutely. I, I don't think I've met any other hosts uh, like you, so we kind of have a, have a thing there. And I did, I did one for them called how Jaws changed the world. And Wendy Peters, uh, widow, and I went down to the Bahamas and we looked at sharks and we, it was a, it was a good program looking at the Im influence that movie had on a number of levels. It was the first blockbuster movie of all time. It was uh, the, uh, uh, it kind of haunted Peter a bit o over his life because he was blamed for- uh, Demonizing sharks. Demonizing yeah. sharks. And you know, I can basically, you know, recite his responses to all those because I was with him half the time. And he always pointed out that um, he didn't create the fear of sharks, he simulated it. Mm -hmm. And he always used to always tell people, when you go into the store to buy my book, you go to the fiction section. Remember yeah. that? <laughs> and that's something I always say as well. People need to understand how to separate reality from fiction. Yeah. They complain about these shark movies. They say they're demonizing sharks, but it's just a movie. You know, you're not, every other, no other movie gets that sort of reaction from people. I love these shark movies. I think they're amazing. I, I love the fictional stories and, uh, you know, there's a bunch of them coming out. The Blake Lively did The Shallows. It was kind of cool. It was not a great ending, but people just need to do exactly that. They need to understand the, the difference between a movie and a documentary. <laughs> it's not that hard. But you know, shark populations have been coming back. Uh, yeah, up around the Cape, the whites are back because of the seal population. Exactly, and the uh, you know Jaws is almost 
that storyline is almost coming back in a natural way. And that's one of the things people don't realize is that shark conservation has actually been working in a lot of a lot of ocean basins, and we have more sharks now, which is good because sharks sharks are what keep the, the ocean ecosystem kind of in tune. They keep they keep the system operating. And when I go to a reef that has you know like a hundred sharks around me, I know I'm in a good place. Yeah, it's, it's safe. Uh, I mean, the ecosystem is in good shape. You have to keep your eyes about you, uh, and gray reef sharks are actually one of the more aggressive sharks. People don't often realize that, but I think the ones that, uh, which are the ones that people that are known to attack people? What are the top? Bull sharks, a lot of the time. Uh, and it really depends on where you are in the world. So Hawaii, it's going to be tigers. You go to Florida, it's going to be... Um, it's going to be the bulls, you go to Reunion, it's going to be the bulls, Australia, it's going to be great whites and bulls, um, very occasionally tiger sharks. So what, what you have to do is be educated. You know, it's, it's no one else's responsibility except for yours. It's not the government's responsibility to keep you safe in the ocean. Um, it's what a lot of people don't realise. And now the governments, especially in Australia, are out there killing sharks. In, on the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park, the, the Humane Society won a case against the government to stop the drum lines and the killing of sharks. So the government um, put in a dispute to uphold their killing and culling techniques. So they're going through a, a battle at the moment. The government actually wants to kill sharks on the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park. Now, doesn't that absolutely go against everything a marine park stands for. This is new to me. Well, why are they doing this? For safety? Yeah, for tourism dollars. That's weird. Yeah, because uh, the Australian government has people fooled that these nets they put out and these drum lines actually keep them safe. Um, what they don't tell everyone is that the majority of sharks caught on those nets are caught on the inside side of the net. So they're not doing, they only stretch for, I think, uh, 150 meters to 400 meters they don't go all the way to the bottom so the sharks can swim around it under it sometimes over it um, it's just the illusion of safety that the government because it's the 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 lowest costing minimal amount of effort they have to put in to make it look like they're doing something killing sharks is easier than relocating them alive uh, usually a shotgun to the head or uh, sorry a, a rifle shot to the head or they just, the contractors sometimes, they're supposed to go out um, much more than they do. And sometimes the contractors just don't go out. They leave the sharks on the drum lines on the hooks and they die. But they can, I've seen sharks uh, in videos die on drum line hooks within minutes. Because they just struggle and wrap themselves around it. They, then they can't ventilate. Yeah, the only times I've, I've had any, uh, I, I can think of the two dives that I was had a little uh, uneasiness. One was I was out in blue water, uh, right about in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and we were doing a blue water dive, and I was the first one in the water, and it was a, uh, I'm pretty sure it was a silky shark, but to this day I'm not exactly sure, but it came right at me as soon as I got in the water. And th those sharks are used to, when they see anything, they gotta be fast. Yeah. Because they're out in the open open water. Yeah. They hit spear fishermen a lot, same yeah. as the dusk, yeah. the whalers. Yeah. Might have, yeah, and the other time was, uh, I was diving around a bird nesting island, and those those great reef sharks were so tuned up, man. And I'm sure it was because they were they were used to the small uh, juvenile birds falling into the water, and I was like competing with them for the for the absolutely prey. But they hunched up and you know, and it was, 
sort of got to back yourself into the reef and you know keep an eye on it. But other than that, I really haven't had any any trouble. I do keep my wits about me and you know <clears throat> uh, really pay quite close attention to it. But um, Paul, I want to thank you for uh, uh, opening this doorway for for our listeners and myself and the see as many voices and sharing your story. And uh, we're gonna take a break now and we'll come back. To-